0: Folks, we are brought to you today by the absolutely fantastic Melbourne band RVG. They have just released their second studio album entitled Feral, and thanks to the very good people at Our Golden Friend, I have a vinyl copy of Feral to give away to a listener. All you have to do is write in to barbandspod at gmail.com and let me know your name, your address, and your favourite episode of this podcast. And that's it! I'll pick a winner by the end of the month, and I will send you out a copy of RVG's fantastic new album, Feral. Barbandspod at gmail.com. Your name, your address, and your favourite episode of All My Friends Are In Alright, let's get into it. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. This is David James Young here. You are back for another week of All My Friends Are in Bar Bands. I apologize again in advance for the delays. Uh, It's been a minute since I have had the chance to work through uh, the archive, get an episode up, get stuff moving. Uh, There's obviously been a bunch of other stuff going on. I've been working a lot. I have a lot of excuses. But it basically all boils down to the fact that I just have not had a chance to work on this because I've been really, really busy. But I'm back for now, at least. And I have a new episode for you. This episode was recorded back in October of 2019, and it is with James and Dan from Crywank. Crywank are a British anti-folk, folk folk rock, psych folk, I don't know uh, the specifics of what you'd call them, but they are a very peculiar and very interesting band that I had never heard of prior to being asked to play with them uh, when they toured Australia for the first time in 2017, my band Nothing Ramps with David played with them in Wollongong, and it was absolutely fucking fantastic. Uh, we had such a great night. The band were really, really nice people, and the show was awesome. Like it was just wild to see this act that we had never heard of before just absolutely tearing it up with such a fervent and passionate response from the audience. It was a, it was pretty packed as well, which was awesome. James even wrote a poem called Nothing Rhymes With David and read it out during the show, which is one of the strangest and nicest things that has ever happened to me. So that was really, really cool. Cryowank came back for the second and final time in 2019 as part of their Farewell World Tour, which is currently up in the air. Uh, They are uncertain as to when they will be able to finish it. But once they do, uh, Cryowank will officially be ending. Uh, In the meantime, however, they have just released their final studio album. It's called... Fist Me Till Your Hand Comes Out My Mouth. That's its real title. It is 27 songs long. It is 56 minutes long. Uh, they have spared absolutely no expense. Everything must go. This is the this is the final clearance sale of Crywank. So uh, that album is up on their Spotify and Bandcamp. Now, if you want to go and check it out, want to give a big thank you to James and Dan for taking the time to... Uh, Have a chat for this podcast. Long time, uh, nothing wrong to David, bandmate Joel Hernandez is also in this episode. Uh, They were heading up and down the country with Cryowank, uh, playing as an auxiliary member, playing a bit of Melodica, which is obviously a perfect addition to any set so Joel gets in uh for a couple of bits and bobs here and there which is fun but uh it's really interesting to talk to people like James and Dan who come from such a different scene uh to a lot of the acts that I talk about and have such different stories you know they are Primarily a DIY group, like they have had very little assistance from the outside realm, as it were. I learned a lot about their ethics and their touring stories and just everything that comes with being in a band Called Crywank. Yeah, it's a fucking strange one. But it was very informative and very interesting. And yeah, James and Dan are super, super great people and uh really, really stoked that we got to make this happen. This was recorded upstairs at the Red Rattler in Sydney before a Crywank headlining show. Yeah, what can I say? It was a it was a great time. Wishing those two all the very best. With any luck, hopefully they'll be able to uh finish up with Crywank sooner rather than later and tie a neat little bow around the whole thing and get back to work on whatever projects they end up in next godspeed big love to Crywank. won't keep you too much longer just a quick reminder this podcast is made possible thanks to the support of people just like yourself if you like this podcast and want to get the word out for it please drop a rating and a review in whatever podcast app that you use five stars would be fantastic uh, don't forget to subscribe as well wherever you get your podcasts from. If you have any friends that might be interested in what we're doing, say you've got a friend who's a diehard Crywank fan and would love to know more about them, well, this is the avenue to do so. And if you are in a position to do so, only if you're in a position to do so, it would mean the absolute world if you could consider supporting me, David James Young, over on Patreon. For as little as one dollar a month, you get exclusive access to bonus content and a bunch of other behind the scenes stuff and constant updates on everything that I'm doing in the world of music and in writing and in podcasting as well. It's been a while since we've done one of these, so I want to give a massive thank you to all of the current patrons helping to keep the lights on over at DJY slash barbands HQ. All the love in the world going out to Adam Turner, Amy Gray, Beniah Colburn, Bill Robinson, Blake Hennequin, Catherine Burgess, Chris Bowden, Dave McCarthy, Dave Armstrong, David Beckett, Elliot J. O'Neill, Eloise Young, Jeremy Dillon, Jeremy Neal, Jonathan Elvery, Katie Beershire, Lachlan Cannonwick, Leslie Bowden, Liam Sherlaw, Mark Wilson, Mary Gleason, Matthew Lynch, Patty Ablos, Paul McWhorter, Philip Spatiri, Sian Vanamcuti, Simon Bath, and Will McDougall. If you would like to join this list of absolute champions of the world, then you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash David James Young. That's patreo dot com slash David James Young. Would absolutely love to hear from you. Alright, let's get stuck in right now. This is my chat with James, Dan, and Joel from Crywake.
1: My concept of happiness is completely based on fiction Accustomed to disappointment
0: I'm David James Young, and all my friends in bar bands, today I would like to introduce you to my friends, Crywank. Hello, uh, I'm James from Crywank.
1: Hello, I'm Dan from uh, also Crywank. And in New South Wales, we've picked up a new member. Hi,
0: I'm the professional
1: tagalong Joel, from
0: Crywank. It's true. It's Wednesday afternoon, and we are in Sydney, and Crywank are back for the second-slash-final time. There it is. We never thought it would happen the once, and now it's happened the twice, so don't cry that it's over. Be happy that it happened, you know? Let's keep the memories fresh and let's enjoy this one last ride together, I think. We're trying
1: to enjoy it. (laughs) We've got a
0: very long tour ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I
2: feel like uh, we're we're milking it.
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, the Eagles used to, like, number their farewell tours. Like, they go out on Farewell 1, so I reckon... You know, if you want to keep this going for as long as possible, then I reckon that's the that's the route. Make this farewell one, and then see how you go from there.
1: Well, we've, we've given ourselves, like, an ending point, which is June 2020, mm-hmm. and the goal is whilst we're on it... So I've already booked some of the last shows. Yeah. These are some of the first shows, and the goal is to just try and go as many places as we can before we break up and just book the tour whilst on it, so... Hopefully it will be a world tour, who knows? <laughs> Hopefully we'll make it to the end of it.
0: The other side of the world is a pretty good place to start for a world tour. All right. yeah,
1: we have to do shows on the way back, so <laughs> it kind of forces us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, indeed, uh, the tour started last week.
1: Yeah, we started in New Zealand. Yeah. Wellington was the first show.
0: Was that your first time over there?
1: Yeah, first ever. How was that? Uh, amazing, yeah, really, really good. It, it's odd going somewhere and it being your first and last show. Mm. but, uh, yeah, we were not good because we had the best time, like probably our best tour ever in Australia last time, but we got a lot of emails from sad fans from New Zealand, so we were yeah. happy we could actually get there and perform for them, on the North Island anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, indeed, uh, we played together on Friday, uh, mm-hmm. and the first time we met was on the, the first tour. Yeah. I would not heard of you guys before I got asked to play this tour, and it was like, oh, great. What was the name again? <laughs> it was an incredible awakening to find that in your inbox. It's just like, just an email with no context whatsoever with the subject "crywank." You're just like, well, this could be anything. <laughs> I wonder what this email is going to be about. <laughs> and it was you guys. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> I remember that first show very distinctly because we hadn't met. And then halfway through your set, you were just like, I wrote a poem. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was
1: I was really worried that uh
0: you'd you'd find it offensive that we were coming for your band name. <laughs> like... Not at all. I was I was honestly very, very flattered. <laughs> but, yeah, sadly it's lost to the sense of time that that particular Yeah, poem. we can
1: we can rewrite it hopefully. I was trying to rewrite it at the Duneside Show, but uh I didn't have Wi Fi and I do rely on rhymezone dot com oh, quite of course. a bit. But uh, we wrote a poem uh all with things that half rhymed with David. Yeah. <laughs> I know there was an aphid with an affidavit, but yeah. that's, that's about as far as I can remember back. The
0: brave kid, I believe, was a line <laughs> in there somewhere. So. It was pretty impressive, i got to say. <laughs>
2: well, I have no recollection of this happening at all, so it? it's great. <laughs> <Are> You've been
1: <laughs> twiddling your fingers on the drums or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Was that whilst we were playing? In the... it was. Yeah, in, this oh, was in right.
0: Wollongong, yeah. Oh, right. At Radbar, RIP. Indeed.
2: I probably was running around doing something. Yeah. You were on stage! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I use all the opportunities when you're uh, talking to like fix things. Yeah. <laughs> or just
0: have a run. <laughs> <laughs> just do a victory lap. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so i begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music specifically where it changed from being something that you were watching on tv listening to on the radio etc to switching over to being like this is what i want to do i want to play instruments i want to be in a band i want to sing i want to write songs etc uh so james we'll start with you can you tell me how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing and if there was kind of a switch on moment for you
1: I mean, I was always just a fan. I, I music was like a really big thing. It kind of started when I got uh, one of the Now CDs, and there was like a Pet Shop Boys on a song on one oh, of them. Fuck yeah, West yeah. Girls. It was, it was a song, uh, Dogs in Suburbia. I think it's oh, called. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I used to listen to that on repeat, and also Run DMC, Walk This Way uh, oh, with Aerosmith. So yes. Was like those two were like. When I was a kid used to dance around a lot to them when I uh got the internet, that was like the big change for me, where I'd just go on torrent websites and download whatever yeah, and very legal yeah <laughs> uh, I found like uh Sophie Ann Stevens through that, and um like the Mountain goats and a oh, lot yeah, of kind sure. of uh to me at that point very obscure folk bands, yeah, I guess yeah, they, yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. seem that way now, yeah, but I always saw music as something. Very much so beyond my means. Uh, A lot of my friends were in, like, techie metalcore bands. Everyone was very obsessed with, like, how good are you at drums, how good Mm. are you at guitar, and it was, for me, like, well, I'm never going to get to that level. And it wasn't until I was incredibly sad and didn't really care if people laughed at me anymore that I picked up a guitar and was like, well, I'm just going to write songs smashing on it. But that largely came from, like, inspiration from around that year, where I found musicians like uh, Wildman Larry Fisher, Daniel Johnston, uh, Wesley Willis ah, yes. and kind of loving their music, but being aware that it didn't come from a place of like kind of musical virtuosity yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it made me think like oh, I can do this you know as long as I 'm like passionate and like you know kind of put myself into it, like regardless of like how good the actual sonic sound is that maybe it will not even do okay i just thought maybe people might listen to it once or twice i was Mm. very surprised i got more than 50 downloads i remember that being the goal was like 50 downloads of the first demo
0: how many did you end up with
1: the first demo i'm not sure probably about three thousand. but it was the the first album james is gonna die soon which again still is very kind of poor guitar but that's had millions of streams now
0: isn't that nuts
1: yeah, really nuts. I'd have probably tried to record it a bit better and not use all the first takes
0: if I knew it would have been listened to that much. Oh my lord, Dan, what about you?
2: Uh, I got into music. Oh, got into playing music from being really bored in secondary school. Mm. I had a, I had a drum kit already, but I, I got it when I was like six, and I had a couple of lessons. But I was really frightened of my drum teacher because he smelt smelt of. Uh, yeah, bad coffee breath. Oh, yeah. And he used to sit really close to me and be like, no, you you need to you need to count everything in quavers and cabbages. And uh, he used, like, really off-the-wall kind of, like, ways of teaching me to get me into music, but he just frightened me. Mm. Oh, I didn't put the drum kit back together up until I was in secondary school. At the time, there was a really good punk scene in the town next door to mine. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to do very well at school. I, I just want to join a band, so... Uh, I just learned how to play drums in in throughout school. You know, like just tapping on all the all the desks and yeah, yeah, yeah. the rulers. A really good instrument if you get that if you get that going with the right right bit of wobble on it and yeah. stuff. <laughs> My teachers hated me, but um, I just used that opportunity to like focus on what I wanted to learn. And then I knew that when I got home, I'd have exactly forty five minutes to play the drums really fast. Mm. Uh, before everybody got home from work and then they'd sh- shout at me because my house backed onto, fo- like, four other sets of terraces. Yeah. So, and my drums were in my bedroom and they're all, like, houses that are just next door or just, like, attached to each other. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then I, I formed, like, loads of stupid bands when I was, when I was a kid, like, much to my neighbor's, uh dismay. <laughs> but they were all, like, pretty supportive, at points <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you two grow up in like a similar sort of area or whereabouts were you guys
2: hey uh, we're both from towns that uh lost their industry about Jamesy's, probably about 35 years ago maybe for the 80s lost yeah the and mine probably lost the industry like after gandhi came and uh worked out what we were doing with with the cotton industry you know like mm. uh so a, a long time before that but in in uh, both very similar in places that lament uh things that happened a very very long time ago compared to like most of the people who are living there yeah you know so yeah p- places with very very little jobs and a lot of people who mourn a lot
0: yeah, yeah sure so you mentioned there was like a music scene nearby like in the, yeah. like the town over so is that where the two of you met
2: uh, no we met in uh, manchester it wasn't up until we uh moved out of our parents house that hey, uh, we, we met each other, mm. which yeah. I, I'm from kind of about 45 minutes away from Manchester and James is probably, like, about the same but in the opposite direction. Yeah, I think
1: I'm closer the way the crow flies, but... There's the whole of the peak district to go through, so it's probably faster for Dan to get to Manchester. But we both just moved to the big city, largely for reasons, I guess Dan said. There's no jobs yeah. where we're from, there's not many opportunities.
2: Everybody's racist.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I guess to a degree we're part of the problem, but uh, like anyone who is like alternative, anyone who is queer, anyone who is in any way slightly different, yeah. you just turn 16, turn 18, you run away from those towns. Yeah,
0: totally. When and where was the first time that you ever performed live? How old were you?
1: Oh, God. Uh, oh, God, this is really bad. This is really, really bad. Cause I, and I look back and I'm like, why the fuck was I allowed to do that? <laughs> um, I used to do karaoke and I used to love the song I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred.
0: How could you not? It's a and classic.
1: When I was like 10 or 11, I used to perform I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. But every time I'd do it, on karaoke, normally at like, you know, like holiday kind of parks, places like that, mm. um, I'd, I'd strip down to my wife fronts um, <laughs> So, yeah. I at the edge. Yeah, I had the edge. I was an edgy performer. But I look back and I'm like, oh, my God, like, if I fucking went to like a, a place and saw like an 11-year-old stripping to write said Fred on stage, loads of like middle-aged people <laughs> yes. clapping around them, I'd freaking call child services yeah, straight right. away. Like, what the hell?
3: Oh my god!
0: Yeah. <laughs> what about what about the first time uh, playing your own music, singing, and playing guitar, etc.?
1: Yeah, I used to sing in a band whose name I'm not even going to mention in case anyone googles it. Is um, it
0: worse than Crywank? Oh, uh, I mean,
1: not the band name's not worse, but the the music I think is. I was in like a local band that I sung in, and we we just used to do really naff local shows in front of yeah. like twenty people where all the bands play and couldn't really play their instruments. And I I sung in a band like that, that was like uh, teenagers trying to do like uh, indie music that was kind of like kids music as well. Oh, right. Gimmicky,
2: very yeah. gimmicky.
0: <laughs> Dan, how about yourself? When uh, was the first time you played
2: live? I played uh, at my school. They had this like thing where they were trying to get the alternative kids or like trying to give them a bit of support. Mm. And it was in a band called Leg and uh, we wrote all the songs in a week and we wrote 11 of them and i feel sorry for everybody who was who was there because <laughs> 11 songs is a lot to get through oh you know? yeah <laughs> but um that band quit because we, um after that summer the because it was just the the time where before t- term was ending mm. the guy who played guitar in in that band uh, came back and he was just this um, mad racist over the course of the summer holidays. He just managed to change his politics and his whole attitude on life. So we we folded the band after um, he threatened to stab uh, one of my friends. Holy
0: shit. Wow, eh? (laughs) (laughs) That's some real VH1 behind the music shit. That's (laughs) that's fucking intense, man.
2: But I'm still good mates with the other guy who uh, I was in the band with. Yeah. He was very much on my side with it. And we carried on making music together up until, like, probably about five years ago or something.
1: Yeah, right. Me and Dan actually met through the other member of Leg because he used to hang out at my old flat all the time. Yeah, right. And uh, his band were, like, a kind of metalcore kind of band. They had a tour booked and the drummer dropped out and they needed a drummer. Mm. And uh, one of my friends knew Dan and was like, oh, I know a drummer. And so got in touch with Dan and then it turned out that it was the the band that... Well, the band member that Dan used to be in a band with throughout all of his childhood. Holy
0: shit, so. yeah. <laughs> Fuck, small world. <laughs> Okay, give me a quick highlight slash lowlight reel of uh, the band you two were doing before Crywang started.
1: Oh God, uh, the highlight reel was at my the same day as my granddad's funeral. Uh, we ended. Great it, start to yeah, any story. It was it was my granddad's funeral and. The day before, like, I, I don't even know how much detail I should go in, but I'm just going to go, like, as pure honest as I can. Sure. Like, I had this horrible kind of weird lump on my testicles, and I was like, oh, my God, I have cancer. But because my granddad was dying and then died, I was like, oh, I can't tell my parents because it will freak them out. Mm. And then the day of my before my granddad's funeral... Uh, I told my parents about it and cried loads, and during that whole thing, loads of teenagers jumped into like my parents' garden and set fire to all the bins. And it was just, like, really weird and intense. And then in the morning, I went to the hospital, uh, but we ended up not being seen because there wasn't enough time because then we had to get to the funeral. And then afterwards, like, we couldn't get seen because I had a battle of the bands after the funeral.
0: Oh, my Um, God.
1: And then we won battle of the bands.
0: Holy shit!
1: (laughs) And it was also the first time I ever smoked a cigar, which I had uh, after winning battle of the bands, and I hated it. Um, and then it, I, it was just a scare. It wasn't cancer, so that was that was fine. But that was like probably the most emotional weekend of my life. I think.
0: Oh my god! That's the fucking wildest story anyone <laughs> has ever told on this fucking podcast. Holy shit! Dan, I can't imagine you can top that.
2: No, I did I, pre- I think my mine's pretty tame. But uh, me and uh, my f- my friend who was in leg, we started a new mm. band called Riot To Us, mm. and uh, we were pretty like. Straight up street punk or whatever you call it. We tried to write, you know, like kind of like lefty political lyrics, and we had this gig coming up in Burnley, and we got there really early. And um, what's it called? We uh, we dumped all our stuff in this club, and everybody was a little bit like surly with us. And uh, and it was an anarchist gig in Burnley. It's got a very uh, right wing, like nationalistic kind of like uh, front going on. Mm. We didn't know at the time that the anarchist gig had been booked in uh, a pub that was, like, quarter-owned by the BMP party, which are all, like, ex-National Front... People like very far right yeah, people, yeah, yeah. and in the middle of us playing this song about it was it was it, it was in pretty bad taste, but um, it was called "Follow Your Leader," and it was about if you're a Nazi, then you should just shoot yourself in the in the face. <laughs> and uh, yep. and, and yep. it, you were playing this song about uh, about about that, and all these Nazi skinheads came into the club, and we were all like fourteen, fifteen, and we were like, "Shit, fuck, it's gonna kick off." But for some reason, it didn't kick off. They were all pretty pretty polite, and then they left.
0: <laughs> what do they... What do they just be like, um, words can never hurt me, and then just, <laughs> like, <laughs> sticks and stones?
2: It was pretty bizarre. Like, I, d- I think it was a massive oversight by the the Anarchist Federation in, in Burnley to book a gig in uh, a pro-Nazi uh, club. I
0: think, yeah, I'd <laughs>
2: wager so. It kind of, like...
0: It's like a slight clerical error.
2: Kind of, like, <laughs> you know, like wasn't really thought about the safety of everybody at that gig. Mm.
0: (laughs) 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 Fucking Oh. Okay. When and where was the first Crywank show?
1: Uh, The first Crywank show, uh, I used to do... So it wasn't like a proper show. I used to do open mic in Manchester, but weirdly, uh, there was two people who used to do the open mics. One was a guy called Crazy Horse, who is this, like, old white man who is very much so, like, Native American aesthetic who would play without shoes on and walk around all the tables knocking everyone's drinks over and going, mm-hmm. like, yee Yeeha over and over again.
2: Wow. He'd sell, like, printouts of himself, you know, like... With that kind of like, you know, if you go into like shops that like sell like just sticks and you know like kind of like alt stuff, but it's like alt stuff from like twenty years ago, and you have like an you know like a an eagle like flying over like a canyon, and then like a you know like a silhouetted picture yeah, of a Native yeah. American on the on the side of it, instead of like there being like you know like a famous like like person like Black Elk on the on the poster, it'd just be him. <laughs> You know, like, with, like, eagles and, like, wolves, like, around him in, like, some kind of mad setting.
0: That is incredible.
1: And the the other person who played on my first gig uh, is called J.P. Cooper. And they've ended up, like, I think they wrote a song called September Song, which was, like, some naff advert song but at one point he was the 10th most listened to musician in the world on spotify which was really weird that like the most successful musician i've ever played with was on like my first ever open mic night shows (laughs) in manchester
0: (laughs) what are the fucking odds oh my god it was just you back then yeah
1: it was just me the first proper gig was supporting the band reviver
0: Oh, fuck yeah.
1: Yeah, but I couldn't stay to see their set because it was my friend's birthday. So I rocked up, played, gave away about 10 handmade CDs and then came back. And the first gig I played where I got to stay the whole night and see the whole night was with AJJ and Kepi Ghoulie and Apologies I Have None, which was like... A really good show, one of the best nights of my life. And all my friends came down who knew all the song words, so they sang along with me for everything. And afterwards, everyone was like, oh, Crywank's pretty big, doing pretty well, even though it was like totally just a group of my friends who I convinced to all come down. So I ended up getting a few more shows from that one. It was good.
0: Those are pretty fucking big shows for your second and third ever shows i mean they weren't
1: big bands back then it was sure. like it was like their their first kind of tours around the uk and yeah, i just stink bar. <laughs> yeah it was a very stinky bar that we played in <laughs> and yeah I, I just messaged the promoters being like hey can i play this i'll do it for free and they'd normally be
2: like for free yeah, yeah. sure <laughs> come on
1: down <laughs> you can open up
2: <laughs> dan when do you get involved i think you've been doing it two two years three years
1: Yeah, it it was like a a natural process. Me and Dan moved in together, and Dan had already done the artwork for the band. We just jammed together with Dan playing different, like not a drum kit, but different percussive things Mm. that you
2: had. Yeah, like household things. We we kind of like you know like blindly felt around trying to find what would be the best thing for for uh, an unamplified sound, and we ended up settling on this wooden box that i'd had, had since i was like five years old and then then that became like a, a good thing to uh, kind of like tour with or do gigs with because you could put your sleeping bag and stuff in the box yeah and then when you get to the gig you just take it out which it, it always ended up like getting really mucky all the stuff but uh I, you know like i could play what i was traveling with which ended up being good. We tried doing it with like proper drums or like, even with like Indian tabla, but I don't, it just kind of sounded like we were weird. Like, <laughs> it it's
1: sounded a bit too like hippie with a, a yeah. jebby or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, uh, But Dan's held back there. Dan, Dan modded this box so well, because he ended up making a handle for it because it didn't have a handle, just nailing it in. And then for every gig, we'd sellotape snare strings onto the side of it. And then Dan made a tambourine that was just a small block of wood with bottle caps nailed into the end of it. So that yeah, that was the original setup with the band.
0: Fuck
2: that's... It worked in like house show scenarios, but then when we were trying to play like when we got got into venues and stuff like that, sound guys would be like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> You're like, you have being serious. And, they're like, you know, like, they try and mic it up in the middle because it was, like, an open box that I was, like, yeah. sat on and it was constantly moving around. And it was, like, feeding back loads and they're just, like, <laughs> you know, like, just giving us the worst looks ever.
1: Yeah, we'd, we'd start gigs sat next to each other and about, like, six songs in, Dan would be, like, eight metres away from me on the other side of the stage.
0: <laughs> yeah, can I get my box in the back, please? <laughs> So when was the first time that you toured? The first tour
1: as Crywank was, I got invited over to this noise musicians 19th birthday party who just really liked Crywank who lived in uh, the Netherlands called Svaartvit. and I played this birthday party that was really weird and this band called Well-Known Secret were like we'll book a tour for you Um, so we just played small cafes and stuff. I then did a solo tour with uh, a band called Feralus, which was initially just solo, but then with another member joining in. But it was Ren from the band Petrol Girls, who are Mm. going around Europe quite a lot right now. I'm trying to think what the first tour was with me and you. Do you remember?
2: Was it with Perky?
1: Maybe. Me and Dan have done, like, 35 tours now, I think, or something (laughs) like that. I mean, a lot of them are just, like, week-long tours and stuff, so it's it's easy for it to, like, add up, but... Mm.
2: Uh, they do all merge together. A lot of them have been with, like, the same people or different arrangements of the same people. We've met some of the same people on the way and then, like... So we've had some similar experiences and then they kind of, like, all fold into one. And it gets really um, hard to uh, pick out what... How far... You know, like, how far away in the past one thing was as opposed to, like, how relatively recent other things are
1: we used to play uh with more metal bands though which was always interesting really? yeah especially in europe we toured with dan dan played in a metal band called old skin and we ended up uh jumping on a tour with them when we used to go to europe we played with like a lot of hardcore bands we just get on like punk lineups and be like the inappropriate people on the bill but i i used to enjoy being the inappropriate act on the bill i i always thought it was fun
0: how, how did audiences react to that because like they're there to see a very specific style of music and you are not playing that style of music.
1: Normally it would be really positive, like surprisingly positive. Yeah, Yeah, when we go to Europe, we end up having like quite different crowds to other areas some places we go and it's like a bunch of like queer teenagers who are super into indie music and just like experimental music and then we'll go somewhere like scandinavia and it'll be loads of people who are into black metal and we'll be like oh, i wonder why they like it and they'll be like yeah Dandas blast beats
0: we love it and your lyrics are brutal they're brutal and <laughs> i mean both are entirely accurate, so you know, can't go wrong there. <laughs>
1: it's good to have
2: some crossovers. So. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. More blast beats, I say. Yeah, Fuck do-
2: yeah. We need to keep with that monica acoustic grindcore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> acoustic grindcore. That's some good shit. Oh man. With a lot of people that uh we speak to on this podcast, we kind of elaborate and discuss the idea of like like when you're young and you're you kind of seeing music in this very idealistic, like biopic kind of perspective, that there's always that moment where where the band has quote unquote made it, you know, like they'll sign the record contract or they'll play the certain arena or anything like that. And as like trivial as that is, like I feel like every band, no matter how big or small, has those moments for themselves where they look at something that they've been able to achieve by being in this band where it's just like, if teenage me found out about this, they would lose their fucking mind. And I'm curious what that would be for you two, where it's something that maybe it's a place you've played, a place you've visited, uh, a venue, a band you've gotten to open for, uh, any anything like that where, you know, you're just like, holy shit, this is actually happening.
1: Uh, I find it kind of uh, difficult to... I don't know really figure out in my head cuz it's it's lots of small moments yeah. like we we've been kind of largely ignored by the industry so mm-hmm. it's not like we have, like, a big moment where something huge has necessarily happened, where it's like, wow, this is so much bigger than we've ever done before. The largest crowds I've ever played in front of is probably 300 people. Yeah. Uh, whereas we know loads of bands who are a lot smaller than us who, you know, they, like, get support slots, play in front of 2,000 people, things like that. So that's always peculiar. But there's there's definitely a lot of moments. I've had a lot of emails that have made me cry, The first time I came to Australia when we played Brisbane, Mm. uh, I cried a lot. The first Duneside show we ever played, I haven't shut up about ever since we did it. That was put on by Joel, and it honestly that felt like a weird kind of like a film dream come true. Where like I've played loads of DIY spaces, but you know if if you were gonna make a DIY space in a Hollywood film, like you know it'd probably be something that. Felt more magical than what it actually is normally. Yeah. It's kind of dingy and not always, dear. I mean, it's normally lovely, but there's normally like certain aspects that can like ruin an evening. And that first Duneside show, I mean, the last Duneside show was lovely as well, but with my first time experiencing Duneside, mm. that stayed with me loads. And I remember being like really proud
2: to have done that gig.
0: Dan, does there anything kind of come to mind for you in terms of like like personal highlights, in terms of like. Stuff you've gotten to do with this I band.
2: I had kind of like one goal from being a kid, and that was to move out of my parents' house and play in bands, or like at least go to Europe with a with a band and see a squat. <laughs> and and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I've kind of like done done that like loads of times and in different different ways now. And I totally I need some new goals. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think part of the
1: band ending is that we're in like a real position of privilege where I mean, when I started this band I remember like the dream goal for me being like, wow, if I even got like quarter as as popular as Paul Barabo, that, oh my god, I'd be so happy everything kind of just did better than we ever expected especially with the band name we have especially with kind of the resources we've had we've had way more experiences than we can really deal with It's weird. Loads of goals we set for the band weren't wild ones. They were quite like, you know, tour Europe, see a squat. Yeah. Or one day have a music video. Yeah. Or or an animated music video is always a goal, and that's happened for us now. And Or, like, play with these specific bands. Like, playing with, uh, like, two of my favourite bands growing up were Jordan Mason and Noel Longhall. Mm -hmm. And because the band started doing well enough it was the case where I could bring them on tour with me Um, so that was wild but I guess we are at this point now where I think both of our goals are are definitely more separate from the band we've we've achieved a lot that we wanted to do with it
0: yeah well then What do you kind of foresee life being after Crywank? Then, like, is it something where it's just like you've been doing this for so long, you just want to kind of like get out of music entirely for a while, or do you just want to navigate music like in other genres, and other styles, or something like that? Like, what what's the end game for ending Crywank for you? I,
1: I don't think either of us will be able to stop making music. It's kind of a compulsion. But for me, it's definitely stability. Like because of the nature of the band, like we're not on a label. I book like nearly all the shows. Uh, we have Stitches Music doing it for Australia for mm-hmm. us, and in some countries where you know it's harder to go to, we've had people help. Um, so we have someone book our Poland shows as well. But normally, everything just goes through me and my phone and my emails and we just live on tour pretty much all the time and for a long period of the band when we're not on tour we come back off tour and the pair of us don't live anywhere so it's straight onto couch surfing which is really similar to touring (laughs) um so it 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 becomes exhausting so for me i'd I'd like to have more stability i'd like to have a, a a dog sure so that's one of my main reasons of finishing is like i want to have a dog and if i'm doing it i'm doing it properly i'm not Mm -hmm. being that person who's like i have a dog will you take care of it for two weeks while i go on tour no this me and this dog every day
0: yeah not that fucking cartoon dog either a real no a real one
1: (laughs) um i'd like to sniff
0: its own butt but yeah
1: yeah definitely (laughs) i'd like to i don't know date people uh through traveling all the time like it's not like i can really get involved in relationships and be the kind of lover who i want to be because i'm always going to be like this band's number one see (laughs) you and it would be nice to uh have the space to actually uh i guess be romantic again Mm -hmm. and be able to feel like i'm being good at being romantic because every relationship i've had whilst being in the band it's normally been the case where the band's very much so got in the way of that yeah yeah and with music i'd like to make stuff without kind of the creative baggage of Crywank and what Crywank yeah. is and what people expect from Crywank. So, I definitely have plans of what I want to do with music. Uh, I want to do a musical. Uh, oh, wow. I want to try and make a musical game. So, th- these are like things that I'm thinking about, experimenting with, and hopefully will manifest in the
2: future.
0: Beautiful. Dan?
2: I want to try and save up for a, a sound system. It's just like a chain of uh, franchise pubs in in England that um, don't have any music in, and they shut down at least kind of like one pub in every town like every week. Yeah, because they can the they can afford to um, completely monopolize the market. Yeah. So I want to do like guerrilla gigs in there with with my friend under the name. I think I think we might change it. We're going to call it Eight Million Pound World. <laughs> but uh, they, that's pretty sick the idea because there's loads of like pound lands and pound worlds in england which you, everything's a pound obviously mm. uh, the idea would be to um like dress in all you know like promotional uh alcohol uh, gear um plant people with the speakers already in in the pub mm. and then kind of like burst into it pretending that we've been employed by the weatherspoons company to like put music on but they, mm. they have a ban on music in all Weatherspoons and the idea would be to kind of like you know like just play gigs in in places that are you know like don't normally have music or like subvert it or like through being a musician you end up going to very uninspiring places yeah. where you know like everything's black it's all like it sounds dead you know like everybody's paying fucking shitloads for booze in there and yeah. it'd be good to like remove it from the kind of like place that it's accepted to be in being at at the moment you know yeah. I'm excited about doing that
0: fuck yeah that's sick dude nice one okay we'll wrap it up here but before we do that I ask this of all of my guests now it's your turn I want to know about the best and worst shows that you have ever played
1: I already said Dune Side. Yeah, yeah, worst show. Worst. So bad.
0: Oh, that one Screw on Friday me, got fucking weird with those two fucking goth girl hecklers. <laughs> that was nuts. I mean, we, we play in Europe, and uh,
1: compared to the heckling we get in Europe, like, people apologize so much. And, like, someone got kicked out in New Zealand for shouting, play a good one. And in UK, oh. in the UK, that's just, like, banter. Like, uh, we've had people say way worse shit to us whilst we're playing. <laughs> Uh, duneside's definitely, like, uh, a really, really high point for us. Mm. Um, when we put on Jordan Mason in Manchester, there was a thunderstorm behind them, and that show was... I was really proud to have put that one on. Trying to think the worst gig. Oh, I lost my passport in Dublin, and we had a gig the following day in Newcastle. Oh, no. So uh, I found out I'd lost my passport at, like... Midnight, yeah, it's like one in the morning. Yeah, we, we'd just gone back to like, our, we had nowhere to stay. Some pe- friends had an Airbnb, said, Oh, you come stay with us, there's a pull out bed there. So we we're like, Oh, sick, we've been saved. Get back, lost my fucking passport. So I started having a panic attack. Fortunately, someone whose name I can't remember because I'm so dense and I really <laughs> should remember the name because <laughs> they saved my book, but they were like, Don't panic. I've looked on the internet, here's transport stuff you can do, and at like 1am I ended up getting a coach to Belfast, because Belfast in the UK, Ireland isn't. Yeah. And then I went from Belfast to the port of Belfast and waited at the side there until like 6am for the flight, but there was this really aggressive pregnant woman who kept neck wine next to me and telling me that i looked like a member of one direction and feeling my leg and just making me feel horribly uncomfortable and was like we're friends now we're gonna be friends are you gonna sit with me on on the on the ferry and i was just like oh my god get like fortunately they didn't let her on and i'm not sure what happened there but hopefully they took the drink off her as well mm. i suggested and she didn't like that and then i got to the port in scotland hitchhiked to Glasgow, met up with a friend in Glasgow who Dan organised to pick me up, who then drove me to Newcastle and we made it in time for the gig.
0: Holy shit.
1: And then the gig happened and two guitar strings snapped and then there was a 17-year-old doing sound and the whole system broke, but then at the end of the night we found out it hadn't broken and they'd just pressed a mute button and hadn't realised. Um, so that was, you know, that was maybe one of the worst ones. Fucking Fucking hell. Uh, <laughs>
0: It, definitely the best story, though. Holy yeah. shit, that's that's quite an escapade, Dan. Come on, you have got to have something on in the in the archives just, equal
2: to that. There's very little to go wrong, really. Like, uh, <laughs> you, what was it? The worst,
1: best and worst,
2: best and worst.
1: I mean, you toured with a broken leg. That was a broken foot, was
2: it? Yeah, but it, it was pretty easy. That it was, yeah. I thought it'd be a lot worse, but it was my with my best drum playing foot as well. Oh fuck! And I, 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 how did you manage that? Well, I I was on. I was uh, like, I always do this before uh, before I go away on tour. I always seem to injure myself. Like before this tour, I took too many mushrooms at at, like this uh, Ugandan dance music uh, night, Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't have that much recollection of doing it. But apparently, I put like both my hands up to the sky and was like going like this like looking at the sky and then uh, I just rocked backwards and cracked my head open oh shit but then uh, another another tour before before this like about was it about a year no no uh, you ab- yourself about, every tour. about 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 6 months ago not even that probably no probably about 3 months ago mm. i broke my metatarsal from going to the same venue and taking too many mushrooms <laughs> and it <laughs> And then I was, I was like, I'm a bit bored here. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even drunk. So, and the music's a bit shit. So, I'm gonna take myself home. And I was like, what, what a good thing to do? I never do that. I normally just stay until I've got no money left. And then it, so I was like, I was like walking back. I was skating and I was like doing these tricks. And I was like, I've never done this before. But obviously, I was like still high. But I was like doing all right. Yeah. And then, and then I was just like doing the, the kind of like. Uh, the, the thing of like just skating but like at walking pace and like not doing anything in particular that was too dangerous or a little bit whoa, a little bit way. Yeah. and uh, my foot just collapsed and I was like, Oh no, Uh-oh. and then uh, and it was broken.
3: Fuck. But
2: um, I got it put in a boot and stuff like that, and then we were just packing everything to go away, and I was like, It's kind of all right, I can kind of walk on it still really hurts yes, but i'm not going to tell anyone because mm. it might jeopardize the everything that we got booked so like and i was like i think it'll be fine i think i've got, I've got a good feeling that it's going to be all right i just need to be careful that i don't do too much walking and just only play the gigs you know like yeah and uh and like just as uh, i was walking away with all the stuff like this like older drummer who's like across across from like the practice room that i live in was like you're not going playing on on your foot like that and i was like yeah and he was like well you could fuck it up for the rest of your life and then never be able to play drums again I was like don't tell me that don't tell me that I've just got to go away for like two weeks playing on it I was like it's going to be fine it's going to be fine budgie and he was like oh I don't know <laughs> he was like I've got a mate who like did that did that to his wrist and then uh, and then he can't play drums ever again because it's too painful and I was like oh, no <laughs> but but it was fine, and and I've been skating on it whilst I've been over here. cause yeah, do- taking mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> cause joking was a skateboard, and I was a little bit sketched out. I was skating down this hill in Parramatta like the other day, and I was like, "Fuck! If I fall off, then like, that could uh, total the tour." But it was fine. Beautiful. You, you've not got to think that you're always going to constantly injure yourself, even yeah. though that you always prove yourself wrong by constantly <laughs> injuring yourself.
0: <Yeah. laughs> You know what? Fuck it. Joel. Yeah! I Joel, waited. answer this question. Answer this question. What are the best and worst shows that you've ever played?
3: You did this intentionally, because I think you know the answer to the best show I've ever played in my life. Do I? Yeah. Um. It's called... It was with this band Um. that's known locally called Nothing Rhymes With David. Oh, God. Um, I, haven't,
0: I haven't heard of them.
3: <laughs> so they're pretty underground, but... um. Mm. I was playing bass for them in this venue you might have heard of called the Oxford Art Factory.
0: uh, I'm vaguely familiar. And
3: um, yeah, we were opening for two somewhat known bands. Um, One uh, called the Lazy Susans. Oh, yes. And the other called the Heartaches.
0: A couple of them have maybe been on this podcast, I think.
3: Maybe. Maybe once or twice. Yeah. To this day, it's the biggest venue I've ever played In my life, honestly, like, I don't, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but like, I think that was the best I've actually played, the tightest I've played with a band ever. Yeah. Sick. So what was the worst? (sighs) The worst, um, I'm not going to say a full set, but I'm going to bring this back to the worst song I've ever played in high school. Um, We used to have these assemblies every week and they actually asked us to play random songs and we covered, I can't remember what song it was probably some christian band um, so that's not a good start yeah so i was really nervous i was rocking out doing my thing just getting way too into it headbanging way too much for a pop punk song and actually hit the microphone to the point where it almost fell down and you could hear a lot of delay on it it was the most embarrassing thing of my life Fuck. yeah didn't want to be seen in public ever again
0: <laughs> and yet here you are yeah
3: <laughs> Uh, That's why I don't play bass anymore. I play melodica because you can't really hit your head on a microphone that way.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You can hit your teeth, though. Oh, yeah. It's pretty risky. Oh, Oh, yeah, right?
3: Now I've got pressure for the rest of the night.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Touch wood. James, Dan, Joel, thank you guys so much. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, David. Thank you for having us. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in